0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. How many of you guys have ever been in a really dumb fight? I mean, you got in a really big fight with someone and later you look back and you're like, that was dumb, right? So uh, earlier... Uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, I asked Jake, I said, what's the dumbest fight we've ever been in? And we, we really couldn't point to one thing, right? Because most of the time they're all dumb, right? There's so many. There's so many to choose from. You know, which one really is the dumbest fight? But I, I did remember this one fight that we had. And, um, you know, I'm the kind of person, I love dogs. I love dogs. I think dogs are the coolest. I just think they're so great. But unfortunately, I married a person that, it's not that they don't love dogs, it's that they are more practical, right? So they think, why would we openly invite more problems in our life, (laughs) right? How many of you guys are like, give me all the problems, I want all the dogs, okay? How many of you guys are like, no, why are we openly inviting problems in our life, all right? So those two, and and those people, you guys probably find each other. So if you were single and one of your hands were up for one of those, you're gonna find, no, I'm just teasing. Right, so we, we um, at somehow, early in our marriage, I somehow had conned Jake into not only letting us get one dog, but two dogs, and they were the best, they were the best little dogs, they were, um, the perfect kind of dog is a fluffy dog, right? Um, sorry if you like the, the short-haired dogs. You're wrong, you know, whatever. But but these these dogs, they were super fluffy. We had um, adopted them both, like rescued them both, so they both had a lot of issues, a lot of problems. Also, um, I'm the kind of person, I want to name my dog something just bizarre. When I was a, a small child, I think I was in third grade, I got I had asked my parents for a dog, so they got me a cat. And so I named my cat Bill Clinton, right? <laughs> So that was my cat, you know, until high school I had that cat. Bill Clinton, come here, right? I love, I love to just name your dog bizarre things, you know? And so, but, but Jake, you know, he, he was like, we cannot, these, our dogs came with names, right? We cannot change these dogs' names. That will scar them for life. How would you feel if someone was yelling at you the wrong name, right? <laughs> and so our dogs had super boring names. I did not like the names. But we had this little dog named Munson. And Munson was a cute little dog, and she was um, actually pretty old when we got her. She was like, you know, in dog years. She was, like, I think, seven. And, but she acted like a puppy. The whole time we had her, she was super energy. The one downside of Munson was that she was a runner. You guys know these dogs, they run away. So if you had the door, I mean, just barely cracked open, she was gonna find her way out. So a lot of our life was spent looking for Munson, (laughs) driving around the neighborhood, searching for Munson, calling for Munson, all of these things. And so one day we had um, Evie. She was uh, a little baby, and Munson had run away again. You know, so we were like, "Okay, let's go look for Munson." We put Evie into the umbrella stroller, right? And um, it, umbrella strollers are kind of ridiculous. They're never the right height. I think unless you're like under five foot five, but if you're over that, you have to like hunch to push the umbrella stroller. And so so Jake would always be like, "You, it's, it's, I have to bend over, so you should push the stroller." And I'm like, "I to bend over too, right? But yeah, i have to bend over a little less. So I'm pushing the umbrella stroller. You know, we're walking around our neighborhood. We're, we're looking for um, our dog, you know, so you can imagine the scene, okay? Well, Jake has the um, leash. Sorry. Jake has the leash in his hand because we have faith we will find our dog. So he has the leash in his hand, and he is um, swinging it, around his hand, you know, letting it wrap up in his hand and the metal is the part that's really swinging throughout the air with the greatest of ease, right? So the the metal part is swinging in the air and then, you know, once it wraps all the way around his hand, he would unswing it around the other way, you know, which, you know, I'm pushing our most precious cargo of our life here and, you know, but whatever, sure, swing a huge metal thing. So we're walking down the road, walking down our neighborhoods and all of a sudden, lo and behold, that huge piece of metal just Bam, hits me right in my hand. And you know, I'm gripping the, the um, stroller, you know, so it hurts even more because your hand's all flexed. And I'm like, oh, you know, and he's like, oh. you know, that moment where you know you did something bad, so you're like waiting for someone to react, but you don't have a sorrowful look on your face, right? They're kind of like, oh, how mad are they, right? And and I'm the kind of person who everything is fine until all of a sudden it isn't. Like it really genuinely is fine until you push me to a certain level and then it's not fine, right? And so everything was fine. It was a mistake, an honest mistake. Do I agree you should be doing this with your life? Swinging a leash around? No, but you know, it's an honest mistake, right? So I'm like, oh, you know, oh, are you okay? yeah okay you know let's keep looking for our dog you know keep looking for the dog keep looking for the dog well he continues to swing the leash has not learned his lesson you know so then uh, a little while later all of a sudden bam it hits me again now listen i am not the kind of person who swears i never have been you know i'm not the kind of person who cusses or anything like that you guys are like good Okay. But in that moment, I, I, I cannot remember I'm fine until I'm not fine. I cannot believe I've been hit in the hand, the exact same place again with the exact same leash. So in that moment I turn and I yell at the top of my lungs, "Dang it!" right at him, except it's not dang it. So you can fill in the blanks, right? And some of you guys are sitting in this room and you're like, wow, that was mild. I would have been really letting him have it, you know. I would have sounded like a boat, a sailor. It would have been happening right in that moment. But for me, that was a big deal, so I yell this word at him, and he's like... <laughs> because I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs, just cuss word, right? And then right in that moment, there's like four eight-year-olds on their bikes riding by <laughs> in our quiet neighborhood, and they're like... You know, and I'm, and I'm just like... <clears throat> Dog, you know, I'm done, right? So how many of you guys have ever gotten a dumb fight, a dumb conflict? Today, we're in this series about I love my church, I love my city, and I want to talk to you guys about this concept of unity, unity. Now, um, like probably about a month ago, we were talking about some personality things. Uh, Jake and I were like overly obsessed with personality, you know, uh, tests, those kind of things, too much, They're too, too too obsessed with it. And so we're reading something about it, and he, he says, oh, this makes perfect sense about you. And I'm like, what makes perfect sense about me? What are you saying right now, right? What are you implying? And he goes, "I'm oh, no, I'm just saying, like, I don't think we've ever had a fight in our whole marriage that I won. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not true. And he goes, see? Right, so then I start laughing, laughing, you know. But, you know, I was thinking about it. I, I can't think in our marriage of any fight that I won either. And that's really the truth about conflict, is that so many times we get in conflict, we have, you know, our opinion, and we know it's right. How many of you guys always agree with your opinions? Man, my opinions, they're pretty good, pretty solid, right? And, you know, we're so right. And, but so many times we leave, even if we think we won the argument, and we still feel like we lost. Good. Why? Because God created us for relationship. You were actually created for relationship. If you go back into Genesis, you know, and, and there's, there's no world, there's, no, there's nothing here, there's no universe, but God is there, right? And he speaks the world into existence, and he speaks all the different parts of the world into existence, and then he creates man, Right? It's the only thing that he created in his own image. You and I, we were created in the image of God. And then he says, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for humans to be alone. And so he creates Eve. And he's not doing this in some way. Sometimes we read our own stereotypes or we hear stereotypes in the Bible. And so we think, yeah, yeah, women were made as helpers for men. But that's not what was happening here. God was saying, it's not good for humans to be alone. You were created for a relationship with God and with other people. That's what we were created for. If anything came out of 2020, the biggest thing that came out was all of us realized it's not good for us to be alone, right? It's not good for us to be isolated. That was probably one, should be one of our biggest lessons wow, I start doing weird things when I'm trapped alone you know, after I made all the sourdough I could eat, you know, after I've watched every single thing Netflix has to offer, then I started to get weird, you know, then I started thinking weird things, right? That's all, which is not good for us to be alone. Why? Because God created us for relationship, and we see in Genesis 3, right after God creates us for relationship, what happens? You see, when God created Adam and Eve, and he puts them in this perfect garden, and he says, there's only really two things, just don't eat from these trees, Right? Don't eat from these two trees that are in the garden. And in Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So this is the devil. What is he doing? He's trying to plant a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. Right? Is this really what God said to you? Right? And what he says actually isn't what God said to Eve. But he's trying to plant some division between Eve and God so that she won't think he is who he says he is. He's trying to get her to not trust God, and he does the same thing with you and I all the time. We come to church on Sunday, we hear the messages, we read our Bible, and we see the way that God wants us to live. But then when we have choices in our own life, we say, man, that sounds a lot better than doing what this says I should do. And so we begin to say, hmm, is that what he really said? Is that what God really said? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, right? He's telling her, God is tricking you. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What what is he doing? He's trying to convince Eve, you can't trust God. And it's the same way in our life. We're bombarded all the time with stories that tell us you can't trust God. You can't trust God. You can't trust God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. That's funny. We didn't read this version in the first service. Loincloths. Thank you. Thank you for that image. Right? So they're immediately, right? They've been walking in this garden. They've been perfectly happy until this moment. Something happens, and they're immediately ashamed. They're ashamed of who they are. They're ashamed of who God made them to be, and then they hide from God. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Earlier, it says that they would walk in the cool of the garden with God. Can you imagine? These are the only people in all time who literally walked with God. But in that moment, God comes for his morning walk and is like, guys, where are you? Where did you go? For the first time in their life, they're hiding from God. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And then, this is where we see, right? There's some real division begin to happen. It's like Adam grabs a sword, and it's the same thing that we do in our lives. Adam's, you know, he's going to get in trouble. So he says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the the fruit of the tree, and I ate it, right? It's like he cuts off his relationship with her. No, it was the woman's fault. She's the one who did it, but he not only does that. He says, it's the woman you gave me. It's like you're the one who made her God, right? So he not only slices his relationship with Eve, but he slices his relationship with God. Why? Sin always separates us. Sin always breaks relationship. That's what it does that in ourselves that's what the, that's what the best intention the devil knows if i can get you on your own away from relationship that's when i will win right and so sin always breaks relationship then eve she ends up blame, blaming the serpent sin wants to separate you and sin wants to isolate you right number 3 jesus restored relationship in that moment god says okay you guys, you have to leave. He makes them close. He ha- he makes them leave the garden, right? And he basically tells them, now there's just sin in this world. And that's the world that you and I were born into, right? We're born into a world where it's already affected by, by the effects of sin. It's already all over us. This is our world. We're already born separated. But right then, in that moment, God is already promising Jesus. He tells them there's a future where it'll be made right. And he's already pointing ahead to Jesus. He already has a plan to restore relationship. And that's what Jesus did. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But that's what Jesus did when he walked on this earth, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead. The whole point was he was restoring us back into relationship. Not only with God, but also with each other. That we have an opportunity as Christians, we have an opportunity to have restored relationships with each other there's power when we live in unity. So what, what does this have to do with unity, Bethany? It's because that we the church, if you're a Christ follower in this room, we are the church. We're not only joy church, right? But we are the big corporate church. Anyone who calls Jesus their Lord, we are the church. And the church, when it's in unity, is when Christianity shines, When the church will walk and live and be in unity, that's when we see Christianity shine. In Psalms 133, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is, when brothers will dwell in unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. When we will dwell in unity with each other, dwell meaning live, when we will live in unity with each other, that's where God will command his blessing. In John um, 13, 34 through 35, this is Jesus. This is what he is saying to his disciples. He says to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How would people know that we love the Lord? Jesus here says it's how you love each other. It's how you, in church, in this room, in your community, how you love each other. That is the biggest example of how people will know that you are different. You see, we live in a world that is all about conflict, right? How many of you guys have been on social media in the last three years? Even one minute, you're going to see some conflict, right? You know, I, my, one of my favorite memes, I don't know if you guys have seen it, I think, is it, is it Michael Jackson eating the popcorn? Oh, it's my favorite, right? Because there's some groups I'm in on Facebook, and I'm like, whoa, what's happening? What are these people fighting about? right? And you're just reading it like, wow, whoa, it's getting crazy over there, right? That's what we do. How many of you guys have seen a post recently where someone says, if you have a different opinion than me on this, unfriend me? I find that so offensive. I'm like, if you don't want to be friends, you got to cut the cord. Not me, right? Right? Why is it my responsibility to unfriend if you don't want to be friends you do it, right? But that's the society that we live in if we don't agree if we have a difference of opinion then we are cutting off relationship That's what society tells us to do That's the way that's the way that we are going to be our best is when we just don't talk to anybody who doesn't Believe and have the same opinion as us on every single issue there is in the world Can I tell you something Jake and I have been married for 14 years, and we don't agree so how can you have someone that you live so close with, right, and still not have all the same opinions? Because you're two different people. If I cut off everybody because we have a different opinion, I will be alone. Yep. And truthfully, my opinion usually doesn't match up with God's. If you've read through the Bible, your opinion usually doesn't match up with God's. He says things like, die to yourself. Nah, that's not my opinion. My opinion is to live, right? My opinion is to pull verses out and have a life abundant, right? With no cross. But that's not what Jesus said. And so the truth is, as Christians, we don't have this this privilege to just say, let's cut everybody out of our life. Jesus is saying the exact opposite. The world will know you're Christians by how you love each other. By how you walk in unity together by how you live with people who don't look like you, by how you love people who don't agree with you. I'm going to read this quote to you. There's a simple reality that when we live in community, we are going to hurt each other. Personality conflicts, immaturity, mistakes, they happen. But when that community is built on love, small offenses and even some large ones are overlooked and forgotten. But when we live without love, every look Every glance, every laugh is seen with suspicion. We are in a constant state of conflict with each other and Satan laughs with delight. When we don't walk in love, right? You guys are like, that hits home. It hits home for me because I've lived that way where every look, every glance, every laugh, (gasps) they're talking about me, they're thinking about me. But when we walk in love, there's grace, right? It's harder to be in unity today, right? This is what some a lot of us think. It's harder to be in unity today because our country is so divided. Just, that's how the church is now. It's just harder because our, our country is so divided, right? There's so many opinions. The truth is, that's not real. That's not true. We are not more divided today. And so I'm going to read you guys this, this long quote. It's a study about what the early church was really like, all right? Understand that these early Christians did not meet in churches and sit apart from one another in pews, like we are, or in chairs. And then when the music ended, get in their chariots and go home. No, their churches were small. They met in homes or house churches. A recent study study by a British scholar has concluded that if the Apostle Paul's house churches were were all composed of about 30 people, this would have been their approximate makeup, right? So if all of these small churches are meeting in someone's home, 30 people, this is who probably would have been of those 30 people. Number one, a craft worker in whose home they meet, along with his wife, children, a couple of male slaves, a a female domestic slave, and a dependent relative. Some tenants with families and slaves and dependents also living in the same house in rented rooms. Some family members of a householder who himself does not participate in the house church. A couple of slaves whose owners do not attend. Some freed slaves. Who do not participate in the house church a couple of homeless people a few migrant workers renting small rooms in the home add to this mix some jewish folks and perhaps an enslaved prostitute and we see how many different tastes were in a a typical home church in rome men and women citizens and freed slaves and slaves with no legal rights jews and gentiles people from all moral walks of life and perhaps most notably People from elite classes all the way down the social scale to homeless people. None of these people have the same background. As you can see, it's so diverse. It's so different. Do you think that these people all had the same opinions about the social climate they were living in? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It wasn't, it's not, we're not more divided today. We're not more divided today. And I just want to say that when we read this and we hear that, wait, they have slaves and there's freed slaves? And we hear that and we take it from our, you know, our point of view, right? And we think, what is happening here? This is the social climate that they lived in. And so it's not that they were saying we're condoning this. They're saying we can't change society ourselves. We're not able to, to make change politically but we are able to love one another. And through their radical love and acceptance of each other, that is what changed society. That is what changed the world. And that is what is so important for us as the church today to begin to understand. is that It doesn't have to do with me figuring out you know, how to, to cut off all of my brothers and sisters because our opinions don't match. Actually, what I'm called to do is to love them radically. And because of our radical love and acceptance of each other, we will begin to see the world around us change. Our mission is to reconcile relationship. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So if you choose Christ, if you're a Christ follower, if you said Jesus is not just a good guy, right? He's not just a prophet. No, he was the son of God and I believe in him and I'm turning from my old ways to follow him, right? If you are a Christ follower, then our mission is to reconcile people to him. We are given this gift of reconciliation. And so our mission is to reconcile relationship, that we are to openly push and pool for unity, for loving each other, for living in a community together. Every Yesterday we all um, served at Shasta Middle School, if you put up that picture of everybody, and so basically what we did, if you, didn't, if you didn't know about it, we just went, we cleaned the grounds, we do a lot of weeding, you know, we spread bark mulch, they, they painted um, a big breezeway thing. Um, I never saw any carpentry, so that could have been going on and I missed it. Usually we make benches and things for them. It's a really great time. And so we were there, you know, for about four or five hours working together. And it was awesome. It was a great time. There's probably, there's over 80 people in this picture. We don't know how many people came. Um, We could easily count it, but you know, no one has volunteered to do that yet. But um, if you look at this picture, not everybody in this picture is the same. We have male and female, right? Not everybody has the same skin color. Not everybody is even of the same nationality. Not everybody was born in the United States. Not everybody was born in the same state. Not everybody was born on the same side of the railroad tracks, right? Not everybody was born into a loving Christian family. Not everybody in this picture has the same views about money. Not everybody in this picture has the same political views. So, we could have had an opportunity yesterday for a big fight, right? I should have shown up and been like, this is what we're going to talk about, and dropped every heavy issue I could, right? (laughs) Let's hear our opinions, right? But that's not what happened. As I walked around, and I talked to different people, and we served together, I didn't hear any fighting. I literally didn't hear a fight all day with the children. They might have been fighting. They're excluded. That would have been different. I actually didn't really hear them, but they could have been. Who knows? But I didn't hear any fights. Why? Because we all had a mission. We had a mission yesterday. Hey, we're here to clean the school. We're not here to figure out every single issue in the world today. We're here to clean the school. And as a church, we have a mission. And it's when we forget our mission that we begin to be okay with not being in unity anymore. It's when we forget that we have this mission, that we're okay with a little bit of fighting, a little bit of making sure I'm right, a little bit of proving to people why they don't think straight. Right? It's easier to fight with people when you're standing opposite of them. It is much harder to take a swing when you're standing on the same side. You see, in our world, we have all of these lines. Well, I'm drawing a line in the sand. If you don't believe this, then we're, I'm unfriending you, right? We have all of these lines that we draw in the sand. But the truth is, is if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, there's only one line that we draw, and it's everyone on this side of the line is saying that Jesus is God, that He is the one true God. And I'm giving my life to following him. That's the line that we stand on as a church. And all the other opinions, all the other things, we say, if you're on this side of the line, you're my brothers and sisters. And I strive to live in unity with you. That's the one line that we have. And when we can see it that way, instead of they said this and they said that and they don't believe in science and they don't this and... And we're just ripping each other apart. When God said, on this side of the line, this is all that matters. We, our mission is to reconcile relationship. In Matthew 5 9, Jesus says this He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I think that far too often as Christians, we think that we are supposed to be peacekeepers. Well, if I keep my mouth shut and I just keep the peace, everything is fine, right? But that's not the kind of peace that we saw Jesus live out. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. It's way more of a verb. And when we watch how Jesus walked on the earth, if you read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's our our books of how Jesus walked on the earth. Those are our testimonies of what it was like for him. When we read those, we see him actively making peace, not in the way that we all think he should. He didn't try to overthrow the government. That's what the Jews were hoping he was going to do, that he was going to make a new government and they were going to be in charge. Because obviously, if we're in charge, everything would be better. That, he didn't care about that. He, in fact, Jesus, he healed people, right? But he didn't even heal everybody. Like sometimes you look at Jesus and you think maybe he should have been more organized. You know, get to a city, tell me everyone who's sick, I'll heal them all, we'll move on. That wasn't his point. That wasn't his goal. Right? He went and he ate with sinners. He didn't eat with all the sinners. He went and he elevated some women. He didn't elevate all women. I mean, he did eventually, in case you're worried. But the way that we think that Jesus made peace is not the way that he made peace. What Jesus did to make peace, we see in Hebrews, where it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross suffering the shame for us. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? We see that it was doing the will of his father. God, whatever you ask me to do. And he's in the garden, and he knows what's coming ahead of him, and he says, God, take this away from me. I don't want to do this. I see what's ahead, and I can't do it. And he says, but not my will, God. Your will. This is the joy that was set before him what is that joy was to do the will of his father but that will of the father was to reconcile you back into relationship with him was for every single one of us to have a way to be back into a relationship with God and not only to have a better relationship with God an open relationship with God but to restore our relationships with each other to not be people who live by the sword but be people who live by love That's what Jesus was doing when he was making peace for you. He endured the cross. He was actually taken out. He was beaten. He was wrongly convicted. They had liars come and say just fake news about God, about Jesus. Every single one of his followers turned their back on him, betrayed him. They beat him. His blood was shed. Why? Why would this happen? He was put on a cross. He was humiliated. This was for you and for I. Because there is something in our world called sin. There is something in our world called wrong. And we live in a society that says we don't need the rules of the church, the rules of God. Humans, on our own, we can make our own rules. And humans will come up with the best right and wrong. And the truth is we can't. We can't ever... We can't ever decide. We all have different opinions about what is right and what is wrong. Why? Because none of us are God. And there is a God. And he does have a right and wrong. And every single one of us, we have done wrong. And when we have done wrong, it separates us from God. That's why Jesus had to give his life. That's why blood had to be shed. It doesn't necessarily make sense to us in, in our world, right? We sing songs that say, you know, your blood speaks a better word. What it's talking about is that the blood of Jesus has reconciled you into a relationship with your father, what you were created to be, who you were created to be. That's what he did for you on the cross. But you have to be the kind of person who says, God, I'm going to humble myself and say, I believe in you. I believe I'm not God. That I can't make a way to make things better. I can't save myself. And I have to humble myself and say, I need a Savior. And my Savior is Jesus. And turn from the way that I've walked before to walk more like you. That's what Jesus was doing when he was being a peacemaker. And in the same way for us, if we're on this line saying, I follow Jesus, right? We don't stand on this line saying, okay, now nobody else on this line. No, our whole job is we're saying, come over on this side of the line. It's awesome over here. On this side of the line, you get to find out what you were created for. You get to find out that you weren't an accident. You get to find out that you weren't a mistake. You get to find out there is a God who cares. There is a God who cares about your marriage or your children who won't speak to you. There is a God who cares about the pain that you've been through. There is a God who knows every moment, every day, every second that you've had. There is a God that sees the people that you've hurt and he still loves you. He still accepts you. And there is a place, the church, us that says come be part of the family hey but we don't look the same i don't care hey but we don't think the same i don't care we agree that jesus is lord and man, that means you're my brother you're my sister and i would love to do life with you i would love to be with you read you this last quote grace is more than being lucky to be on god's side Grace is God's goodness showered on people who have failed. Grace is God's love on those who think they are unlovable. Grace is God knowing what we are designed to be. Grace is God believing in us when we have given up. Grace is someone at the end of their rope finding new strength. But there's more to grace. Grace is both a place and a power. Grace is God unleashing his transforming power. Grace realigns and reroutes a life and a community. Grace is when you turn your worst enemy into your best friend. Grace takes people as they are and makes them what they can be. Grace ennobles. Grace empowers. Grace forgives. Grace frees. Grace Transcends and grace transforms. I've had so many people in my life who, when I've messed up in the church, have shown me grace. They didn't say, Here's the line, Bethany, or Here's your opinion that's different than mine. I'm cutting you off. Unfriend me right now. No, they showed me grace. They said, Let's keep walking, let's keep doing life together. That's transformative. And that's who every single one of us are called to be, that we would be people that say, it doesn't, I, my opinions, my hurt, my pain, my history, it all comes at the foot of the cross. And I say, God, I put, lay it down at your feet. Why? To take on this mission of reconciliation. My opinions die at the foot of the cross so that I can bring on your opinions, so I can care about what you will care about, so my heart can break for what your heart breaks about. And it's in that that we find healing, and it's in that that we will walk in unity. So Maybe you're here today, and you're saying, this is my first time at church, and man, this church must fight a lot. <laughs> That's not what this is about at all. Honestly, I, I, maybe you guys do fight, and I, hear, I don't hear it. This isn't because Joy Church is just always fighting and we're in disunity or anything like that. No, this is a heartbeat of what God wants his church to be. That we would be people that say, I don't, I don't split based on opinion. I don't cut people off because they don't agree with me. I love, and 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 I love. Because that's what God does to me. So if right now, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. If you would just lift up your hands, almost like a little cup, and I'm just going to pray for each and every one of us. God, I just thank you that you do choose us, God. We don't know why you would choose these these imperfect people to be your church, but God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just begin to speak to each and every one of us in this room, that we will have a posture of forgiveness, that we will have a posture of being more open-minded, God, that we will have a posture that says, I'm not going to split over things that don't matter. God, I pray that you will help every single one of us to be people who walk in forgiveness, who don't choose to pick up offense. God. Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray you will speak to anyone in this room if they know they have an unforgiveness or a hurt or a pain. God, I pray that you will begin to help them to be able to forgive, that you will begin to help them to be able to release that God. And Lord, if they're in this room and they know they just need to go talk to that person, I pray that you will remind them of that right now, Lord thank you God that you give us grace and I pray we will be people that are marked by our love for one another that we will see our families our neighborhoods our city transformed because of how much we love each other thank you for the privilege of being your church if everyone just keep your eyes closed your head bowed if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus You know, we were talking about him. See, we do believe Jesus was God. God came to earth to walk like us, to be like us, except he did not sin. And he suffered death on a cross in order to be made right by God so that all of us could be made right. And he didn't die. He rose from the dead. He lives. We believe he lives even now. And to be a Christian, to know Jesus, is to say, God, I believe Jesus is God. And I believe I'm not and I have messed up and God would you forgive me for where I have messed up and help me to turn my ways and to live more like you if you're in this room and you've never done that would you just lift up your hand we just do that no one's looking around we don't do it to embarrass you it's your way of in faith saying God I want to follow you I want to be more like you and if you're watching online you have this exact same opportunity in order to say God I put my faith and my trust in you So if you're in this room right now, just lift up your hand. We just want to pray with you. Thank you. If everyone would just repeat after me, we're going to say this prayer together. And please, if you're online and you're making that decision, please say this prayer as well. Dear Heavenly Father, Father. thank you for who you are. Thank are. Thank Thank you for loving me. Even the times that I couldn't see your love, Thank you for loving me. God, I confess. I've done wrong things. I've hurt people. I've sinned against you. And God, I pray you will forgive me. And Jesus, thank you for being God. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. God, I accept you in my life. I give you my life. I pray you will help me be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.